What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. I'm your Swede, Sebastian Norton, with me, your Yank, Elliot Niblock. It's been a while since we last talked, and there's a lot of stuff to go through here in the Premier League. As uh, things have uh, shifted once again. Manchester City back up top of the table. They are sitting... Pretty with 80 points, one point ahead of Liverpool, so the race is definitely still on. Although we are getting into the tail end of the season here with, um, well, I mean, some teams only have five games left, but most teams have six games left to play. Yeah, so, what, it's, it, they're, I mean, one of the teams that also only has five games left is Fulham, I believe, and that's a foregone conclusion. Yes. Although I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. Yep. No, yep. Let's stay at the top of the table for the moment. Yeah, so still very much a two-horse race there at the top. Like I said, City with 80 points, Liverpool with 79. Both teams coming off wins here over the weekend. Or week, I should say. As mm-hmm. Manchester City played on Wednesday and beat Cardiff 2 nothing to move up top. But Liverpool got a 2-1 win against Spurs on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, that was, well, that was a moment that actually subsequently with City's result has solidified the two-horse race because it is now mathematical that those six games remaining for um, Tottenham in third can not make them do any better than catch City. Now, of course, there is a chance that they could overcome the goal difference and should, you know, City lose every match and Tottenham win every match. But even then, that's about 40 goals for Spurs to make up. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a the big... two horses are far, far ahead. Yeah, very big ask there. And Spurs, they uh, spurs Oh, did they ever Spurs? Uh Gosh, that that own goal at the end. I mean, even even as an Arsenal supporter, it was a little bit cringy for Tottenham to see it. But I think a lot less so because, of course, it took place, you know, with amid pandemonium for the supporters at Anfield. Uh, but it it does seem like, again, you know, knock on wood for the sake of you Reds out there. But it does seem like the kind of moment that enters into those highlight DVDs years that you look back at years down the road and just, God, it, almost a, a divine intervention to lead that goal in to make sure that they get those two extra points. But we'll see. As we say, Liverpool's still a point off of leaders' city. Yeah, Spurs did bounce back with a win at their new home stadium, a 2 nothing win over Crystal Palace. So at least they got to celebrate their new stadium with a win. Yeah, uh, not sold out home opener over 30 match days into the season. Uh, I don't know how many will be thrilled with that. I mean, especially because, you know, it's it's a victory, but it's their first in five. And though they still sit ahead of Arsenal, I'm sure that most Spurs fans will be kicking themselves because, you know, it's barely a month ago that they were 10 points ahead of their arch rivals in North London. So I, I don't know how much the shiny craft brewery inside of White Hart Lane is going to drown the sorrows of those Spurs. But, you know, we'll see. There's, there's, oh, there's football left to be played, even if only half a dozen games. I mean, I do appreciate a craft brewery or a craft oh. section in a stadium. 
Okay. All right. I'll say two things about that. Yes. One, first of all, I mostly agree with you. I agree with the spirit, but not the letter of what you're saying. I love when Stadia have like proper beers on draft. Yeah, I remember the first time I went to a Portland Timbers game, right? Portland famous for not only football or soccer city USA, but also beer. And I got a local a 20 ounce local IPA for a reasonable price. It was, it's great. So I'm with you, but also come on with the like, the mega millions involved here, the the brewery here is going to still be a little more than a puppet of, you know, the InBevs of the world. But that said, you know, there's still a lot of good beer owned and operated by InBev. But someday I'll make it to an NFL game at NFL Europe's outpost in White Hart Lane, and I'll have to just try it for myself. It's Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like <laughs> good, you, good rejoinder. Yeah, Fair like you, like you said, it was not a sellout. It was a let's see. They announced it as fifty nine thousand two hundred and fifteen, and the capacity is sixty two thousand sixty two. So well, almost that, a sellout. Yeah, I mean, and again, to like it's a midweek night game. It's tough to tough to make travel plans for that. But yeah. you know, you know. <laughs> Which Spurs fans throughout the diaspora may have made plans to see the new stadium, uh, probably on opening day. So, well, know, it also could, it also could have been that Crystal Palace didn't fill their section. I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah, could have been. True. Who knows? Who knows? We we haven't done our due diligence on researching the demographics nope. of Tottenham's underwhelming opener. Nope, we have not. We have not. And like you said, that should have been match day one, not match day thirty-two. Um. But here we are. So, yeah, Spurs, they move up into third. They have 64 points. They're one point ahead of Arsenal and Chelsea. Arsenal took a um, 2-0 win over Newcastle on Monday, whereas uh, Chelsea took a 3-0 win over Brighton on Wednesday. And before that, they beat Cardiff on Sunday. So that means that Manchester United are now down into sixth place again. After two losses in their last three league games. Um, so, yeah, 2-1 two, two to one defeat against Wolves here on Tuesday. Uh, I mean, and, the, of course, the, the big moment in it being Ashley Young sending off. But I, I don't think, I mean, Seb, even as a United supporter, you can't really have any qualms about that red card, can you? Nope. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. And uh, Chris Molling with an own goal. little... Uh, Cherry on the shit sandwich. Um, <laughs> Cherry on the sit- shit sandwich. Yeah. It's quite a new one. I mean, it's... Uh, I don't blame... Excuse me. I don't blame their effort. Uh, you know, it's tough playing with 10 men. But yeah. it's, uh, it's also clear that they have some work to do here over the summer. There are some players that should not be in this squad. Yeah, the new manager of Magic has well and truly worn off now that United are, well, back to the same place they were when Jose was sacked. Now, that said, I still vastly would prefer to have Ole at the wheel, um, but, you know, the the kind of the uh, unimpeachable hubris that I heard from some United supporters has been deflated, as hubris always is. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, they're still very much in the race here for a fourth play spot they get a little bit of a break here from league play their next league game isn't until saturday the 13th 
against West Ham. So they'll have some time to regroup there, but first they will do some European travel. We'll get to that next week. Uh, they will take on Barcelona. Yeah, although it's not uh, unless again, this is some cart before or the horse stuff. But in fact, in terms of rest, I, unless I'm mistaken, United don't do any travel. They actually get to host Barcelona. Yes, see a list yes. there. So uh, messy at Old Trafford. Savor it while you can, folks. Yep, it doesn't it may never happen again. Um, no, it will. Well, I mean, who knows, right? Like, it's not unthinkable that. It is totally possible that Messi plays for Barcelona another six years and Barcelona don't meet Manchester United. I mean, oh, maybe, yeah. We'll see. Just because of that, they're going to finish fourth and then get drawn into the same group or something. Next year. <laughs> uh, but yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, but top four is still very much alive for Manchester United. Then you have that huge drop-off down to Wolves in seventh. They have... 47 points compared to United 61. But a good win for Wolves. They are safe and sound. They're doing well as a newcomer. I feel like seventh is sort of the best you can hope for, really, oh, as, a new, yeah, as a newcomer. You know, I heard um, a fantastic Arsenal pundit, Ars blogger, Andrew Mangan, uh, discuss Wolves as essentially the top of their Premier League, right? Yes. That there's almost a separate table, you know? And we, we talk about the the precipitous drop-off and the two-horse race between City and Liverpool, but you still expect those other, you know, those other four clubs in the top six to be in the mix, potentially, in the beginning of the season. Uh, but, but it really is almost a kind of league within a league. And although... That season when the Foxes won it, right, when Leicester City lifted the trophy was, I think, phenomenal for arguments about parity within the league. It was, nonetheless, obviously an outlier. And I think this season we're kind of seeing things shake out a little more along the lines that we would expect. Also, it must be said, a little more along the lines of the financial power of these clubs. Uh, you know, the the money involved in the Premier League is unparalleled and that money talks yeah that's true and i mean that's part of why wolves are where they're at too they got strong financial backing so they're able to do some moves here they made it permanent they announced was it today i believe that jimenez is going to sign a permanent deal in the summer he's been great for them Mm -hmm. and And, i I mean mean, i think that's good for mexico too really yeah and in terms of uh picking up a goalkeeper like Rui Patricio was phenomenal. And I tell you oh, what, yeah. as much as, as frustrating it is from a United perspective, he made some great saves in that game. Yep. No, he's like very, it very well could have been a draw or even a man-down victory for United. No, he, he's definitely a top 10 keeper in this league already. And I mean, he's had a lot of experience before with sporting, playing Champions League and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. no uh, he's no stranger to... To high intensity games, that's for sure. Uh, let's uh, so, you know move our way down the table here. And since we last spoke, we have two teams that have been uh, doomed for relegation. So Huddersfield and Fulham are yeah. going down. Yeah, and speaking of investing in the squad, I've got to eat some crow because back in the beginning of the season, I thought, boy, you know, Sherla and Mitrovic, these are two players I rate really highly. 
they you know picked up Callum Chambers on loan, a defender who I also think has a real Premier League future, maybe not always with Arsenal, but nonetheless, I think he's proven that he can play at this level. Uh, and he, you know, he's a player who will will maybe be kind of you could scapegoat him on the face of it now, having been loaned to back to back relegated sides in Middlesbrough and Fulham. But I think he played well overall. I also have to say that they just this is, you know, we spoke about Leicester again, like kind of being greater than the sum of their parts, and also, however, having some really phenomenal parts in. You know, the likes of Ingolo Conte and Riyad Mahrez, uh, and of course Jamie Vardy, but you know those two really stick out as having moved on to bigger clubs where they've continued to have success. But this Fulham team has looked never even close to the sum of their parts, and certainly not greater than it, uh, which is a shame. But you know, they're gonna, you really can't make an argument that the Cottagers deserve anything less than relegation based on their play uh, from particularly an American supporting standpoint. I'll be the Yank here now. Uh, It's sad to see them go just because they have had such a phenomenal history of giving American players a chance. You know, Tim Ream being the kind of current name that jumps to mind amid their squad at the moment. Uh, But yeah, uh, I wish them the best. I hope they can parachute back. But as we've said before on this podcast, that is usually a pretty big ask. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how this will affect the squad too because I feel like there's some players here that should garner a lot of interest. Uh, Alfie Mawson, Shirley, like you said, I think mm-hmm. uh, Sean Mikel Seri, uh, butcher his name, what, whatever. Uh, Mitrovic, just mm-hmm. to name a couple, and I think Ryan, I mean, Ryan and Ryan Cessignon. I mean, really, I mean, he oh, should yeah. be he, you know. He's, what, 18 years old? Yeah, He's exactly. Phenomenal. But even Mitrovic is only 24, you know? Yep. And I think Sherla's 28 or 29, so he's certainly got, you know, at least three years left of his prime um, and still in the tank. I would be I would be really surprised if all three of those players were plying their trade at Craven Cottage next season. Maybe, maybe they can hang on to one of them. I mean, maybe they can convince... I would say probably, even though perhaps his price tag might be the highest among them, um, I'm, I might suggest that Sessegnon could be the most likely to stay, uh, just because, you know, 18-19, being the first name on the team sheet in the championship is not a bad way to you know move forward in your career at that stage, but... That said, I also think that they may they may just want to cash in because they could probably get what do you think thirty forty million for him in this inflated market of young English soccer players. Oh, easily. Think so? Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's had three year. He had, this is his third year playing senior ball. Yeah. So two years in the championship, and now one year in the Premier League, and I feel like he's shown that he he can play at this level. Yeah, um, But the thing is that it's just from a player's perspective, like from a player development standpoint, this is the trickiest thing because, yes, he's shown that he can play at this level, but is he going to be seriously, like realistically, uh, 
regular feature for any of the top six? I don't think so. No. But is there anybody outside of the top six who could afford to splash that kind of $40 million plus cash on him? Probably only Wolves. I think uh, Wolves, I think Everton probably could. Yeah, Everton. That's Everton's a good one. And maybe maybe even West Ham, although I think they probably wouldn't. I wouldn't actually, you know, that's a good point that if he does land outside of the top 6, I wouldn't be surprised to see Everton move on Theo Walcott and, you know, make a move for Sessegnon. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I think that would actually from Sessegnon's perspective might be the best of both worlds, right? Because he can continue plying his trade in the best league in the world while also getting a lot more playing time than he probably would at uh Liverpool, City, Tottenham, Arsenal, uh, like those kinds of sides. And, you know, Everton also with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, they've shown that they are willing to invest time and minutes on the pitch in young, exciting talent. So, Yeah, and there's still room to sort of make a move upwards after that too. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that that would be a good move for him. Although, like you said, it might not be... I don't think it's a bad thing for him if he would take uh, another year in the championship. And if they don't get promoted, then he can say, well, hey, guys, it's it's time for me to move on. Yeah. yeah. So but I, 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 I don't know his exact contract uh, right yeah. now. But... Well, the other thing, though, is that, I mean, I keep kind of zigzagging here back and forth between the players and the club's perspective. But, hey, we're supposed to be all-encompassing on this show, right? Uh, but from a Fulham perspective, I think that you probably want to move him on because, like, what it takes in the championship to stay up is, yeah, you know, uh, one great talent can uh, can like help you stay up, but it's going to be more a war of attrition, right? You know, with just the num the sheer number of games that are played. Uh, yeah, it just like the fact that it is a 24 rather than a 20 team league, you have, you just need a bigger squad. And if you can parlay that 40 million, even with you know, agent fees and 40 might even be a low ball, you know, if you can use that on half a dozen players with price tags in the six to 8 million range, you know, you might be able to strike gold and then turn that over and that, you know, that could be the thing that helps you bounce back up. So. Okay, so some quick uh, Googling here. So it seems like his contract expires next summer. Oh, yeah, they so got to sell. They, they, they had a price tag of him this past summer of 100 million pounds. <laughs> my, oh, my, get out of town. Yes. But now, uh, who am I even reading here? H-I-T-C. I have no idea what this site is, but good on you for having this. Uh, but now they're speculating that he might cost around £50 million. Pounds. Uh, and, that seems more reasonable. And that Spurs are interested. Transfermarkt has him at uh, $39.9 million. Why Transfermarkt is in dollars, I do not know. I think you can't um, you make a... You probably can't. Doesn't. But I mean, anyway. It so. just shows your IP there. Like, oh, this idiot is in America, so let's show it in dollars. Probably th- so. You know, roughly with the Brexiting pound, thirty thirty-five million uh, pounds. I I bet they get at least forty million for him. Fifty seems high, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, right now now I'm moved over to the Evening Standard, uh, a little bit more well known. Um, or maybe 
HITC is super well known and I just don't know about it. Who knows? Uh, Although let's not call the Evening Standard the paragon of all journalism just yet. No, we're not. <laughs> but they're also saying that Fulham is sort of resigned to losing him in the summer. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of have to be. And I mean, and if, I they, think if that... they can get 50 mil for him, good on them. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that his youth actually plays in their favor to some extent, right? Because since oh, yeah. he's not, he's not, what is it, I think 22, 23 is the cutoff. Uh, he's not eligible for that, you know, that negotiation in January. So, so they can let his contract run down until January and have a half a season with him playing in the championship and then, you know, sell him in January. And of course, then they're going to be even more under the gun. But if they don't get an offer north of 30 million by the end of this transfer window, I'm sure that'll be a conversation of saying, all right, you know what? If you're only going to pay 25 million for him, then we get him until January 1st. Yeah, either that or that they loan him out back to Fulham for the whole season. Yeah, yeah. that's. I, a, I could see that happening too, and I'm not – that would also not be a bad thing. Yeah, I, I and think I think if he that, knows If he knows that, hey, you know what? After this season, I'm going to Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, don't – yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's not, a, say, that's not a bad move. I think no, Spurs would actually be a pretty good move if he's looking at one of I those top six teams. I disagree, though. Really? I, I think Spurs would be uh, – I mean, I don't know. It, it would be better – it would be a better move – than Chelsea, that's for sure. But yes. Since Chelsea have Pulisic coming in, so it doesn't make any sense yeah. for him to land there, right? Um, I mean, Spurs, Spurs wouldn't be bad, but I just don't know. Well, again, this is assuming that he has a year at Fulham, so we'll see. You know, it could be, it could be that a year from now we say, boy, this move was bang on correct. Um, I'm just I mean, not. And it sure. also it also depends on. Sorry to cut you off here, but it also depends on if Spurs sees him as a winger or as a uh, or as a left back. Yeah. Because yeah. All factors to uh, sort of weigh in, but I mean, I would love to see United go after him. I, I would think, just be. I think it would take a couple of years for him to break into the side, but yeah. having him on the bench would be a uh, that would be nice. See, I think United would be, again, again, listen to me, yo-yo between the perspective of club yes. and player. But I think from the player's perspective, once again, United would be much better. Because they've been, in down the last few years, really frustrated with an underperforming squad. Now, that is the same with Spurs fans, right? You know, you look at these two squads on paper, and it, sh- it should be a three, if not four, horse race. Mm-hmm. But that said... Spurs are the team with you know this woeful decade plus trophy drought and more importantly Spurs are the team that has a very visible lack of spending in the transfer market and I just don't know if you know that first 40 plus million signing in 2 years is an 18 19 year old kid there's going to be so much pressure on him and I just don't know if that was be the best move for the player that I do agree with but also, I think you could have you can slot him in as the left back instead of Ben Davis. Yeah, yeah, that's. Fair. I mean, Ben Davis is one of the weaker links in that strong squad. Yeah, nothing bad against Ben Davis. It's just that, you know, if if there's an area you can upgrade, that's that's one of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
And, you know, seeing how Luke Shaw is playing for Manchester United, he would not go in as the left back at Manchester United. I am no. very happy with the way that Luke Shaw has bounced back. Yeah, he's he is really... Under, he seemed, under he seemed Mourinho, I was like, oh, he's, he's going to get sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's nice to see that. So let's we sort of went off track there, but yeah, Huddersfield, Fulham going down. Then right now we got Cardiff in that final relegation spot with 28 points. Then we have a trio teams above the relegation drop with 33 points. That's Brighton 15th, Southampton in 16th, and then Burnley in 17th. And we should say that Burnley they won their last game. They defeated Wolves on Saturday, two nothing, mm-hmm. and uh, Southampton took a one nothing win over Brighton. So that was a important win for them. Yeah, you know, I have to say that I, uh, I fear that it's going to be Cardiff that are probably going down. You know, these. The... I mean, they they basically have to beat Burnley on uh, in their next game on Saturday, the thirteenth. They just have, yeah. they got to win that. I mean that's a that is a, a vital six pointer. Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, just the way that they've been, because the thing is that Burnley, like Turf Moor, is always a tough place to go, and Burnley can play for a draw, like because a, yep. a draw is great for Burnley, right? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that you're right though that anything less than three points at Turf Moor pretty much dooms Cardiff to the championship. Yeah. And, I mean, they also have to see what Burnley do against Bournemouth this weekend, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they uh, Burnley travel away to Bournemouth on Saturday. Uh, let's uh, take a quick look here at what we got in store here. Uh, Friday, Southampton against Liverpool at St. Mary's. Then Saturday, we said Bournemouth-Burnley. We got Huddersfield against Leicester, Newcastle against Crystal Palace. Then Sunday, Everton, Arsenal at Goodison Park. And then, you know, sort of the marquee matchup of the this round is Chelsea-West Ham at Stamford Bridge on Monday. Yeah, nice little uh, London derby with top four implications there. Yep. So that's what we have in store for you as far as the league goes. Because we do have some FA Cup uh, games here as the semifinals take place on Saturday Sunday. First, we got Manchester City against Brighton on Saturday, and then Watford against Wolves on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a pretty clear-cut City favorites, Wolves favorites scenario uh, as we move to Wembley. But that said, you know, th- those those favorites had not always come through, right? And otherwise, they wouldn't be here in this position. No, uh, right. no I mean, really, really, Watford are only one point behind Wolves in the table. Uh, yeah. So as far as league forms goes, they're pretty on par. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it will definitely be interesting. But yeah, and if City, I mean, they they. They'll beat Brighton 99 out of 100 times, basically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But if Brighton can get that one time, that would be that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, although they've won one of their last 11 games against Manchester City in you know the last 30 years. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> mm. 
It would be a big ask for the gulls. But, hey, you know what? You want your big asks to be on big stages, and this is the penultimate stage in a famous competition. So go for yeah, it, guys. I mean, really, you know, we're not going to talk about the Champions League today, but City, they do have that game against Spurs in the Champions League on Tuesday. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is, uh, like, big... So I mean, I would assume for Manchester City. I would assume a little bit of rotation, maybe not you know seven, eight players, but at least three or four. Well, yeah, I mean, you think Wednesday match, Saturday Cup semifinal, and then Tuesday Cup quarterfinal in a like no disrespect to the FA Cup, but a much bigger competition, yeah. uh, and one in which they're going to have to play on the road as well. Um, they get. Maybe a little bit of respite in that they play Crystal Palace on the road uh, the following week, but they get a tr- they get a triple dip of Tottenham because they play Spurs not only in the quarterfinals leg one and two in the next coming two weeks, but after that on April twentieth they host Tottenham in the league. So these teams are going to play each other three times in the course of. A month with a lot to play for. That's what, nice. A month. What am I saying? Three times in the course of eleven days. Yeah, that's very nice. That's how you build some rivalry between teams too. I like that. Oh yeah, because I mean, this could it could be a historic move towards a major trophy for Spurs at the end of their trophy drought. On the one hand, it could be a moment in which City really take hold of the title race on the other, or it could be a moment in which Spurs crash out, but they win at the Etihad in like the kind of best of three and secure not only a top four finish, or at least the likelihood of one, but one over their arch rivals in Arsenal, which of course, you know, lights a fire under any Spurs fan as well. So yeah, this is, I think that, uh, of all of the storylines we have, which are fascinating throughout April, always a fascinating club football month in general, the City-Tottenham rivalry is going to be really one to watch. Yeah. So with that, we'll leave you. And as always, be sure to follow us on social media. On Twitter, I'm Seb Norton. Elliot is Keats was better. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.